0: Emergency Medical Minute presents, Mental Health Monthly. Substance-induced psychosis, the agitated geriatric patient, manic episodes, paramedics, nurses, mid-level providers, and physicians in the ED all regularly have to manage patients with psychiatric conditions, often with limited training and resources. In this series, psychiatric experts keep it real, raw, and relevant about what you need to know to successfully care for these patients in an emergency setting. Hi, this is Kim Nordstrom. I am an emergency psychiatrist and associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Colorado. And now I'm going to talk about agitation, changing confrontation to collaboration. So this is going to be about de-escalation. Before going into actual techniques, let's think about the fundamentals of de-escalation. And I got a lot of this from a good friend of mine, Dr. John Berlin, in his book chapter, Collaborative Deescalation, that you can find in the Diagnosis and Management of Agitation. So in terms of the fundamentals, the first thing you have to do is to prepare to engage. What? I got to prepare myself? Yes, you do. Um, It's really helpful if you get your own pulse before going into a highly charged situation. And the two ways to prepare to engage are first cognitively. Why do you want to deescalate the patient? And then emotionally. So let's talk about cognitively for a moment. Why do you want to deescalate the patient? Well, I'll tell you, over the years after a patient has been in moderate to severe agitation, I've been known to sit with the patient and quietly, calmly debrief with the patient, wanting to understand what was happening with them. And over and over again, I have heard how scary it was to feel that out of control. And in those cases where the person went into restraints, how how it was so traumatic for them. So I remind myself of that while I'm preparing to engage. Why do I want to de-escalate the patient? Because I want to not introduce more trauma for the patient. Preparing to engage emotionally, well, okay, what's that all about? Well, again, we're walking into a very charged atmosphere. So what is my own pulse like right now? I probably didn't get enough sleep. Maybe it's hour 10 in my 12-hour shift and I'm exhausted. Maybe I haven't had my coffee yet or on the other side, had too much coffee. Um, Am I grumpy? Am I walking in with what we call a lot of affect? So an outward expression of some of this internal stuff going on, right? And so I, I have to kind of calm myself and make sure I'm not bringing all of my own emotion into the room. So, that is how you prepare cognitively and emotionally. You want to engage as early as possible in a a safe manner. Why is that important? Because if you can engage a person when they're in mild or early moderate agitation and not wait until they're already at the incredible Hulk stage, right? If you could get to Dr. Banner where he's saying, Don't make me angry, you won't like me when I'm angry, you know, the person's frustrated, but they're not frankly angry or out of control yet that's the best way that's the best place to meet agitation and then when you present yourself be authoritative not authoritarian or permissive so what does that mean well authoritative implies expertise ability to explain rationale it's recommending without claim of infallibility and it allows for collaboration so how do i do that well you know, I will say to the patient, "Oh my goodness, I've I've had so many years of training, all those years of school and and all these years of working with people in the ED. I know a lot about the science, but you know what I don't know? I don't know you. I don't know what affects you, what makes you tick, what helps you calm down. You know you more than I know you. So how about the two of us work together?" To figure this out. And the moment I do that, it takes a lot of the charge away because I am helping the person exert some control when they're feeling totally out of control. And then lastly, be self assured and decisive rather than autocratic and domineering. All right, so those are the fundamentals of de escalation. Let's talk about the techniques. They're varied. So some of them are as simple as what I've already kind of talked about your nonverbal behaviors to be strong, calming, and a non-reactive presence. You can do simple things like provide for physical comforts. If it's really cold in the room, you have no idea how much of a hero I come off when I bring in a warmed blanket. That took nothing for me to do, but they feel listened to and they feel really um, excited that the doctor would care that much about them to do something like that. A sandwich, some of these people haven't had much to eat, or you know, if they've already been in the ED for five, six, eight hours, uh, they're probably hungry. Can always offer voluntary medications. Also, I have sometimes used time out. So When the person is pretty darn agitated and I feel like we're just hitting a wall and I'm, I'm not getting anywhere, sometimes I'll say, you know, I think I'm making things worse. How about we just take a little time out? I'm going to step away for five minutes. Let's just let the situation calm for for just a moment. I'll come back in and we'll see what we can do at that point. And sometimes that technique is very helpful. And then lastly, when we talk about de-escalation, everybody thinks that I just mean the techniques of verbal de-escalation. But verbal de-escalation is key when you're talking about de-escalation generally. So the benefits of mastering these skills. De-escalation usually takes less time than the process of restraint and involuntary medication. You avoid containment procedures, which result then in less injuries to both staff members as well as the patients. And patients are much more trustful when they're not restrained or forcibly medicated. Lastly, receiving facilities may be more willing to accept a patient who's not been restrained which improves throughput. right? You're able to get someone to that next level of care a lot quicker. In terms of de-escalation, the goal is to help the patient regain control so that he or she can participate in the evaluation and treatment. While engaging the patient in de-escalation, the clinician's observation and medical judgment must drive decisions regarding the management of the patient. What do I mean by that? As you are engaging the patient, you're actually already doing some of your evaluation just in talking with the patient, and therefore, you can then determine next best steps. And of course, successful de-escalation of the patient is key to avoiding seclusion, restraint, and those involuntary medications. The 10 domains of de-escalation. The first is to respect personal space. You know, we always talk about that bubble Everybody wants their bubble, and it's a real thing. You want your own bubble of space. Well, so so do patients. And when we stand over them, they're laying in bed maybe, when, and you're standing over them in your white coat, and you're looking down at them, um, and you, you're relatively close to them. That only cements that feeling of not being in control. The other part of respecting personal space, if you think about always being about two arms length away from the patient, that's also key for you being safe. Just in case the patient does become aggressive, that gives you a little bit of time to get out of the way. You're definitely one punch or one kick away from the patient already. The next of the ten domains, number two, is to not be provocative. Now I'll tell you. Of all of the 10 domains of de-escalation, this is the one I struggle with the most because I am the most sarcastic person. So I have to be very mindful to leave that out of the room, no matter what the patient says, no matter... Because you know sometimes we'll say things that go get right under your skin. You have to let it go. You don't want to dance with the patient. You don't want to heighten that... Um, you don't want to escalate it, that agitation. Again, you don't want to be confrontational, and being provocative is definitely confrontational. You going want to establish verbal contact, and I'll talk more about that in a moment when we talk very specifically about verbal de-escalation. When you are talking with the patient, be concise. Uh, The agitated patient has a lot going on in their mind, and they're processing very slowly. So it's important not to use a lot of words. Just say what you need to say, and then if you repeat yourself, use the same word. Don't repeat yourself saying it in a different way, because that will be confusing for the patient. Identify wants and feelings. Listen closely to what the patient is saying. Agree or agree to disagree. Disagree. Number eight is lay down the law and set clear limits. Well, that sounds pretty harsh, and I, I get that. But, you know, an example of this is, um, and, and I've used this plenty of times, and maybe the patient is cussing and being really verbally aggressive to the staff. And I'll go in and I'll say, Mr. Jones, have you felt respected by me? Mr. Jones will say, Yes. And I said, You know, I've, I've felt real respected by you. I, I think we're doing okay, you and I together. Hmm. But I'm, I'm not sure that you have that same respect for the staff. And, you know, we're all one team. In, in my mind, it's important if you respect me to respect the whole team. And so when you use bad language and when you yell at us, when we're really trying to help you and we're trying to be very respectful, when you use that language, it's kind of like you're ass- assaulting us. And I, I would ask that you don't do that. That has worked in almost every situation because I just call it out. I say what the limit is. Um, I will t- sometimes say, if you're starting to feel like that, can you just say, I feel really frustrated right now? So I give them a tool, some kind of way to make sure that the person's frustration is known, but also say, but it's not okay to cuss us out. And it, it tends to work. The last two domains offer choices and optimism. And lastly, to debrief the patient and staff if the person has gone through a moderate or severe agitation episode. So quickly, let's talk about verbal de-escalation very specifically. I love this. I learned this from a good friend of mine, uh, Seth Posner from Yale. Uh, He's an emergency psychiatrist. And he said, just doing a respectful introduction, hi, Mr. Smith, I'm Dr. Nordstrom. I'm here to help you today. Etiquette is quickly um, a substitute for empathy. So what your mama taught you when you were a little kid to just be respectful and polite comes off to a patient who's suffering as empathy. So that is that easy. And many patients will rise to the occasion when you just start out that way. Be helpful. Handle simple requests for food and calls like I noted earlier. Quickly confirm the story. Let the patient know what you've been told, but allow the patient to offer corrections from their perspective. And this is where you, when you're doing this verbal de-escalation, you want to use a lot of the verbal as well as nonverbal active listening that you, you learned early in your medical career. So listen initially. Maybe you nod in agreement. You're showing that you're listening. Uh, let the patient list his or her wants and complaints. Don't minimize them. Agree whenever you can, and it may be that you're agreeing to um, silly things like, "Yes, it's terrible when people can't act freely in the park." You might not want to agree that, that it makes sense to run around naked in the park, but you know, yes, it's it's it, you know we do have these laws that y- you can't do that. And I know I know that can be really terrible. Uh, agree to disagree and. When you're having this conversation with the patient, you don't want to blame or argue with the patient. Uh, if you have to, blame some distant third party. So how I use this is, yeah, I know, you know, this, this, you just had a really tough day and, and when that police officer met with you out in the community, he was so concerned about you, he put you on this hold. Well, this mental health hold means that I have to evaluate you to determine next steps. I'm stuck. And you're stuck, so this has already happened, so why don't you and I, since we're both stuck right now, figure out what we need to do to get you to the next step that makes sense. So that's my way of kind of blaming a a distant third party for the situation um, without being aggressive against our colleagues in the police force, of course. Lastly, in verbal tactics, you might want to invite suggestions. What helps at times like this? Um, And and what I find is the the patients will sometimes say, oh, you know that that one that starts with a Z, Z, and I'll say, Zyprexa, Olanzapine? No, no, that other one, and, and, and of course they're talking about Xanax, and so I like to offer choices, but I'm not going to offer a choice that is something I don't agree with, and so in the emergency department I won't agree with Alprazolam, but I might uh, suggest a longer-acting benzodiazepine uh, or an antipsychotic. So I might say, you know, do you prefer Haloperidol or Lorazepam? You know, something like that. I want to offer choices as much as I can, so that the person that feels so out of control is able to exert some control. I may um, use some tactics of persuasion where I say, you know, I believe after everything I've learned about you that a little bit of medicine might make sense. You want to state the facts, just clear, you know, I believe you'd benefit from medication. And then try to find that medication with them, again, is offering as many choices as possible. So if you use these basic techniques, you'll be surprised how often you're able to take the charge out of a tense situation and go from confrontation to collaboration. So lastly, I just wanted to close with a couple of references because I love to make sure people have tools at their beck and call. So the first is the American Association for Emergency Psychiatry Beta Guideline. Beta is the best practices in the evaluation and treatment of agitation. There's a five-guideline series in the Western Journal of Emergency uh, Medicine. Uh, It was published in 2012. Western Journal of Emergency Medicine is an open-access journal, and one of the articles is very specific to de-escalation, so if you want to learn more about what I've talked about today, find that article. Lastly. There are some great practice videos regarding verbal deescalation that you can find on YouTube. These were created by my colleagues, uh, doctors Melanie Rylander and Scott Simpson from Denver Health Medical Center, and they use patient cases and, and talk you through a lot of the techniques that I have just noted. Thank you.